Welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Ben. And I'm Sarah. Thank you for listening to us today. How are you doing today, Sarah? Doing good. Feeling productive, riding off the high of October and Halloween, even though it's now snowing and so our jack-o'-lanterns are frozen solid. Yes. (laughs) Forever entombed, preserved for future generations. How are you? I'm okay. I think I'm having like some post-October blues. Ah. Sort of coming down from that. October is always like a lot of work. We we put out a lot of content. Um, we're Halloween people. We have a Halloween party. We just we just do a lot. We get very busy around October, and so in November I kind of crash mm. uh, a little bit. If um. You're listening to the show and like you're a regular listener, a fan, you really enjoy what we do, you know, maybe like shoot us an email or uh, comment on the Tumblr or shoot us a tweet. Let us know how much you enjoy what we do here at Scream Scene because it's really nice to hear from you guys and it really helps make all the work we put into the show feel satisfying. Hmm. Yeah, we do get some nice uh, emails yeah. from people, including an appeal, which we will get to, I promise. Yes, I'm, I'm very sorry that we have not gotten to that appeal yet. It, it will, it's been a busy time. We'll get to it. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, always love hearing from people, uh, especially for who knows how long Twitter will be around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am excited for tonight's episode, though, because I have seen stills of this movie oh uh and it looks to be pretty spoopy uh-huh yeah we'll find out i've never seen this movie yeah um so today we are watching the alligator people from 1959 uh directed by ron del ruth and have we seen stuff from him before we have okay yeah yeah if the name sounds familiar i have a feeling that this movie is inaccurately titled Oh, we will find out. But everything I've read or seen about this movie seems to me to indicate that like there's an alligator man, but not like alligator people like plural. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if you were leading towards uh, the differences between alligators and crocodiles. Yes. Um, I understand that you're kind of well informed on this, Sarah. I just felt it's important to combat misinformation uh-huh. around these two species. Right. Okay. So what is the difference between crocodiles and alligators? Well, it kind of makes sense that they would get confused because they, you know, are related. Yeah. It's not like confusing crocodiles and elephants. <laughs> um, alligators are crocodiles. But not every crocodile is an alligator. Gotcha. If that yeah. kind of helps with like why there's some kind of confusion. Yeah. Um, but typically they are differentiated by color, by location. Alligators are darker while crocodiles are lighter, kind of like an olive green or brown color. Alligators have a wider U-shaped snout while crocodiles have a pointer V-shaped. Okay. Uh, so I feel like 
crocodiles are more likely what you see on like animated shows because they always mm. make sure to have a pointy kind of snout. Sure. But if it's like more dog-like, I guess then uh, then it's an alligator. Got it. Alligators prefer freshwater and are native to uh, the southern United States, like in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping that this movie kind of sticks to that and is set in Florida. Uh, whereas crocodiles are found in Africa, Australia, India, Central America, and the Pacific. Alligators are also found in China, in addition to the southern United States, but crocodiles are a bit more prolific in location. Also, one way to keep it fresh in your mind is that Steve Irwin was the crocodile hunter, not the alligator hunter. Sure. And that's partly because alligators... You know, they're both dangerous, but alligators are less aggressive than crocodiles. Hmm. Um, Crocodiles will always be like, I'm going to get you, whereas alligators will be a little bit more passive. So. Well, I'm going to get you, Ben. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) I've definitely been told the differences between the two, like, many times, but it's one of those pieces of information that just, like, sort of slips through my fingers, and I never quite hold on to it. Like, I always remember that, like, one is freshwater and one is... It can be anything, but like, which is which I, I do remember that like alligators are the Florida ones like that, that sticks yeah. in my head. So that's um, kind of how you can keep in mind that they are freshwater. Yeah. Um, crocodiles can handle salt water, but they can go into fresh. Um, but it's more like if you're a freshwater creature, mm-hmm. you don't want to go into salt. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. The other thing I always think about when I think about crocodiles and alligators is I always think about the scene in the James Bond movie, Live and Let Die. Yes. Where he goes to like the crocodile farm and the guy tells him like the two ways to like defeat like a crocodile if you're in a fight with them. And it's like one of them is to like basically punch it in the nose. Like it's a shark? Yeah. And then like the other is have a lead pencil on you and jam it behind its eye. <laughs> and I just love that, like, basically the advice he gives James Bond are, like, very specific things that, like, aren't really helpful. Like, Bond, like, checks his pocket for, like, a pencil and doesn't have one kind of thing. <laughs> of course, this is Roger Moore, so the start of the kind of, like, comedy, like, yeah. let's laugh at what's going on situation. Yeah. Anyways... Uh, Back to this movie. Right. (laughs) So the alligator people was developed as the co-feature for Return of the Fly uh, by producer Jack Leewood, who was a producer who worked under Robert Lippert, who was the executive producer of the Fly movies. The screenplay for the film was written by Orville Hampton and Charles O'Neill. Hampton had worked on the scripts for films like Rocket Ship XM and The Four Skulls of Jonathan Drake, and would go on to win an Oscar for One Potato, Two Potato in 1964. Charles O'Neill had written The Seventh Victim and Cry of the Werewolf back in the 1940s. Directing the picture, uh, which was his first feature film in five years, is Roy Delruth, uh, who once upon a time had been a top director at Warner Brothers. Mm. Born in 1893, Delruth's career had begun as a writer for Max Sennett in 1915 before he worked his way up to become a director of feature films at Warner Brothers. He directed the first two two-tone Technicolor 
films at the studio, uh, The Desert Song and Gold Diggers of Broadway, both in 1929. In 1931, he directed the original pre-code version of the Maltese Falcon, and he was the second highest paid director in Hollywood from 1932 to 1941. However, his highly sentimentalized biopic of Babe Ruth in 1948 is considered one of the worst movies ever made, and after his 1954 foray into horror, Phantom of the Rue Morgue, Mm. uh, he switched to directing television for five years which well that's good you know it's not like he was out of work sure it is however worth reminding our listeners that in the 50s there was like a very strong delineation yeah between tv and movies and it was kind of a class system too like tv was worse than movies and nobody like you didn't go down if you went down to tv it was rare to come back up to movies Mm mm-hmm so he, he did manage to uh, come back to movies, however, with this film and one final film. Uh, so this is his second last movie. His last movie would be 1960's Why Must I Die? Uh, and then he passed away in 1961 of a heart attack. Are we going to watch that movie? Is no, that a horror? Uh, Why Must I Die is like a, a crime drama. Okay. Yeah. The Alligator People would also be the second last feature film of its cinematographer, the legendary Carl Struess, oh. uh, before he retired. Uh, now, Struess uh, retired in 1960, but he actually lived until the 1980s. I think he died at the age of 95. Damn. Yeah, so good for him. Uh, Struess's accomplishments as a feature film director of photography include 1925's Ben-Hur, 1927's Sunrise, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1931, The Sign of the Cross and Island of Lost Souls, both in 1932, The Story of Temple Drake in 1933, The Great Dictator in 1940, 1943's Journey into Fear, Rocket Ship XM in 1950, Limelight in 1952, uh, She Devil and Kronos, both in 1957, and The Fly in 1958. The film stars Beverly Garland, who we have seen before mm-hmm. in The Neanderthal Man, It Conquered the World, and Not of This Earth. He, she was kind of a favorite of Roger Corman's for a while. Yeah. She reportedly said that The Alligator People was one of her favorite roles, though she also said that the main thing she remembered about shooting the movie was having a hard time keeping a straight face on set. (laughs) Now, uh, one-time Tarzan Herman Bricks, better known as character actor Bruce Bennett, is billed second in the credits for this movie, but he actually only appears in the movie's framing sequence. Oh. And, like, isn't a main character in the story. But he has that Tarzan star power. Yes, yes. Yeah, from the one time he played Tarzan in like 1932. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's what under I'm a, Under a different name than the one he <laughs> currently was using. Now, the film also features Lon Chaney Jr. playing a raging, inept drunk who is barely tolerated by his employers. And who is he in the movie? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a little close to home. Now, we last saw Cheney in The Black Sleep in 1956, and his most notable film in the intervening time is actually The Defiant Ones in 1958, a classic late 50s drama about racism uh, directed by Stanley Kramer, who always liked to cast Cheney in like memorable character parts in his Does dramas. Does he put him in High Noon? Yeah. 
Now, by 1959, Cheney's alcoholism and health had deteriorated severely, and his performance in this film is generally considered to be quite poor. Poor guy. The movie's cast also features actor George McCready, who is best remembered for being the villain in 1946's Gilda and 1957's Paths of Glory. Another veteran of old Hollywood is Frida Innescourt, who we saw as Lady Jane Ainsley in Return of the Vampire back in 1943. She was 57 years old at the time this movie was shot, and her multiple sclerosis had visibly impacted her acting by this time. Hmm. Now, while The Alligator People was the B picture to Return of the Fly, um, because it needed a new monster design, Ben Nye actually worked on this film while leaving Return of the Fly to his subordinates. I mean, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. The movie was shot in February of 1959 on a budget of $300,000. Um, Return of the Fly was 275000 Yeah, so it's probably the new creature mm -hmm. that kind of bumped it up. Exactly. The two pictures debuted on July 22nd, 1959. They were moderately successful financially with mixed critical reactions. Uh, the alligator people certainly never got a sequel so today you can stream the alligator people on disney plus what wild because it's a 20th century fox film and disney owns them oh now. yeah i guess so yeah uh or you can check it out on blu-ray from scream factory okay i keep seeing these ads for barbarian mm. now streaming on disney and it's like hmm <laughs> Hopefully they have it set so not just like the average eight-year-old will go. Though I suppose we all kind of had an experience like that yeah. back with like cable. It, it's important for children to watch movies that they're too young for. Yeah. But that being said, um, <laughs> we don't have Disney Plus uh, here at Castle Scream Scene. But I have to assume that like there are ways that you can set it up as a parent so that like your kids can't watch like Alien yeah. On Disney Plus. Yeah, I'm sure that they had that set up for like Netflix. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, they can't digitally alter every single movie in their catalog to make them all G-rated. No, they will try. Mm. Well, folks, hopefully you can find a copy to watch along. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude. And when we come back, we will discuss The Alligator People from 1959, directed by Roy Del Ruth. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back to Scream Scene. We just finished watching The Alligator People from 1959, directed by Roy Del Ruth. Ben, uh, what did you think? And how did this match what you thought it was going to be when you went in? So, I actually kind of liked this. Yeah. Um, I liked this more than I was expecting to like this. Yeah. Um, it was, like, kind of pretty much what I expected for the most part. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised with this one. Same. So like I said, I had seen some stills mm. and I thought it was going to be a lot more spoopy. Mm. The movie definitely goes for horror, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, it's definitely like held back by certain things. Yes. 
But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not spoopy. It definitely is trying. Yes. Which is, you know, all we can ever hope from a movie. Right. <laughs> How about I run through the synopsis? Yeah, absolutely. When we open, we see the psychiatrists, Dr. Lorimer and Dr. McGregor, with uh, McGregor's nurse, who goes by Jane Marvin. Now, McGregor has brought in Lorimer because he's doing, like, hypnotherapy stuff and was doing it with Jane and discovered a secret history of Jane. Uh, So when you start, you think, oh, this is going to be a Bridie Murphy thing. I was really glad it wasn't a Bridie Murphy thing. fuck. Ugh. Not to put down Bridie Murphy. No, to put down Bridie Murphy. Okay. So Jane goes under and she... Uh, shares these repressed memories that she has as a woman named Joyce Webster. Now, the two men kind of question her, and we go into this flashback. When we enter this flashback, we see that Joyce has just been married to Paul Webster. Uh, It's just after the war, so I think World War II. It could also be the Korean War. Yeah, that could be true as well. Joyce is a nurse, and she has been a nurse throughout the war, Paul is a lieutenant and uh, had a plane crash and, you know, every bone in his body was broken. But looking at him now, about a year later, you wouldn't think he had gone through a crash. Like, he looks fine. There's no scars or anything. Yeah, he doesn't just look fine. He looks perfect, like totally normal. Now, they're opening up telegrams on the train about to go for their honeymoon. And Paul gets a telegram and suddenly just leaves the train. And just, like, books it. Yeah, he doesn't even get off at, like, a real stop. They, like, slow down for a mail drop, and he just steps off the train. Never to return again. Joyce searches for him for months and eventually tracks down this old college address he used uh, at a plantation called the Cypresses in Louisiana. So she heads down there uh, to a town called the Bayou Landing. The Bayou. (laughs) Um, and she had written who live at this plantation, but like they never responded. So she's like, well, I'll just show up. It'll be fine. She gets off at the train and there's no one around to basically take her up there. So she waits and eventually, um, a guy comes by to pick up a package. Uh, and this is Manon, um, played by Lon Chaney. Um, he's here to pick up this uh, package of blue cobalt radioactive material, which he just tosses into the truck. Mm-hmm. And he agrees that he'll drive Joyce up to the Cypresses, where he actually works as a handyman, um, specifically a hand man, because uh, his other hand is a hook. He's got the exact same backstory as Captain Hook from Peter Pan. Yes. Though I do think it is notable because this is the first time that we've had a man with a hooked hand in a horror movie. Is it really? I think so. Hmm. I don't think there's any real connection between this no, depiction no, 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 and no, no, that no. story of no. like the hook on the car door. No, 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 but no. it's just, uh, hey, pointing things out. Sure. Now, Joyce is at the house and she meets Mrs. Lavinia Hawthorne, who lives here and says that she doesn't know who Paul Webster is and thinks this is quite rude of someone to just show up. She tries to throw Joyce out, but Lavinia's staff explain, like, there isn't a train until tomorrow, so she kind of has to stay the night. 
Lavinia does try to like lock Joyce in her room at night. She manages to kind of sneak out um, because she hears Manon shooting random gators at night when he's drunk. And she hears someone playing the piano. And when she goes to investigate, the person who is clearly Paul uh, runs out of the room. Mysterious. He's wearing a trench coat like he's a ninja turtle. Yes. Now, that night, we see Lavinia going to the local doc, Dr. Mark Sinclair. And they're talking about like, hey, Paul's wife is here. What do we do? And and so clearly they know more. Uh, they are also meeting in a mad scientist laboratory. And Mark is like, okay, no, I'll come over tomorrow morning and ask her questions just to make sure she doesn't actually know anything. So he comes over and does this and lets slip, basically, that no, Paul is here. She puts two and two together. Yeah, him asking her questions really just raises her suspicions further. So Joyce confronts Lavinia and she breaks down and explains that she is Paul's mother. Now Joyce does try to see Paul and like jump out of a closet to like spook him and like say, hey, I'm here, like talk to me. But he runs off again. Uh, She follows running through the bayou at night. It's raining, it's storming. Her dress is getting all torn in a classic horror movie heroine way. Um, And she almost gets bit by like some moccasin snakes. And the person who rescues her is Manon who like brings her to his cabin to be like, yeah, so basically saved your life there. You uh, gonna compensate me for that? He wants to have sex with her and thinks she owes it to him. Yes. And when she disagrees, he tries to force the matter. Uh, he knocks her out. I mean, yes. And as he is about to approach, Paul comes in and beats up, I was going to say Lenny, beats up Manon uh, and grabs knocked out Joyce and takes her back to the main house. Have we described what Paul looks like yet? So, you know, Killer Croc. From Batman? From Batman. Paul looks like that, but less cartoony. So I I actually need to, (laughs) I need to specify something. Yeah. Paul looks like original flavor Killer Croc. Sure. When Killer Croc's deal was that like he was a human with like alligator scales and sharp teeth, not like 2000 onward Killer Croc, who just is a big, giant... Killer Croc. Crocodile man. Yeah. Yeah. You could also liken him to uh, Raphael in his trench coat, um, to Ben the Thing. Mm, yeah. Um, also in his trench coat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he has kind of a an alligator skin clad face um he his mouth looks kind of like long like a snout a little bit they've done some stuff there his hands are like this as well and his voice is much deeper he's gruff and bassy so paul goes to mark and says look we've been doing x-ray therapy seeing some positive results that's why you ordered this like super radioactive material we need to do the test now because i can't keep putting my wife through this. This is ridiculous. I'm a monster. And Mark's like, well, no, I need to be doing tests with this radioactive material because mm-hmm. I need to be doing scientific tests. And Paul is like, no, we're doing it tomorrow night. The next day, Mark does finally explain to Joyce what has happened to Paul. 
basically, um, you know, it just so happened that I was like doing these experiments at like next door to his mom's house in the bayou. Um, but I chose here because of alligators and the regenerative hormone that reptiles have so they can like regrow a limb. Uh, I'm investigating that so we can like heal people. And then when Paul got into his plane crash, uh, we brought him here and we used the serum on him. It's exactly the same as the lizard from Spider-Man. If you're familiar with like the whole deal with the lizard from Spider-Man, it's the same thing. Yes. Like... That's more lizard. This is alligator. But yeah, you know. It's the same idea. Yeah. Joyce is like, well, okay, I guess. And when she does eventually get to see Paul before the experiment, when it's like, like he's not running away, she is shaken by his appearance. His mom is a bit shaken by his appearance. But um, it's now the night of the experiment. And Paul is ready to go. And Mark is like emphasizing to... Lavinia to Joyce that we only want 30 seconds of exposure. You got that? You got that? 30 seconds. No more. This is radioactive shit. Only want 30 seconds. They start the exposure. And who bumbles in except Manon, drunk and lurking to shoot the two-legged alligator. Uh, He has a thing against alligators because they ate his hand, right? So he's like always wanting to shoot them and he's here to shoot the ultimate alligator i feel like he's got also like the additional thing against paul for like cock blocking him i guess like it's yeah i guess that's why he's like yeah he's the worst um so he interrupts the experiment and the exposure goes on longer than 30 seconds which causes the equipment to basically explode and start smoking Manon enters the room where the radiation is going on and he sees that Paul now has an alligator head. <laughs> and he's like scaly all over now. Yeah, he doesn't but have the, chest hair anymore. Yeah, he's it, he's like all scaly on like the torso and everything. But the main takeaway here is that he has an alligator head. Mm-hmm. Uh, Manon kind of freaks out and goes to like slash at this creature with his hook hand, but it hooks onto the wires of the equipment and he gets electrocuted uh like that very first movie that lon cheney was in man-made monster whatever that's right yeah paul realizes what's happened he runs out he runs into his mom she freaks out he runs into joyce she fucking freaks out and he runs out into the bayou now joyce chases after him while lavinia and mark stay behind to kind of sort out the equipment But of course, the lab explodes. Yeah, they did. They did. The entire lab explodes. And I want to emphasize here, they had orderlies. They had other Other patients. patients. Yeah. Uh, Everyone's gone. Yeah. Joyce is chasing after Paul, uh, who at one point fights an alligator. But then he runs into some quicksand and tries to get out, but is sucked below in front of Joyce. And she breaks down crying. Then we come back from the flashback and it's the doctors, Lorimer and McGregor being like, should we tell Jane about this history? And one of them is like, well, she's clearly repressed all of this. This is very traumatic. She has to be telling the truth about alligator people because we gave her a lie detector test. um, And that's like really fucked up. Maybe she's better off not knowing. And so they agree not to tell her. Uh, And that's the end. Yeah. 
So yeah, like, not gonna lie, I actually quite like this. Yeah, there is good shadows throughout good atmosphere with using the, um, well, I was going to say natural look of Louisiana, but it's, it's shot in L.A., but they did a fairly good job with that, and I think it's, like, competent filmmaking. There wasn't anything egregious. This is probably the most I've believed that we're in, like, Louisiana in one of these movies, yeah, like, maybe since ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciated that. They really sold me on on that. Um, what I really liked here was the script. Yeah. Uh, I thought the script for this was really smart. I thought that the way the story's structured is like a nice little mystery and the mystery like works, which is really cool. And I really liked Joyce, the main character, because she has like a lot of agency and she like goes and does things like she's not just reacting to stuff. You know, when she's going into danger into the swamp, either in the middle of the movie or at the end of the movie, it's because she's chasing after Paul. She's not running away from something. Yeah. Right. And, you know, every time someone's like, there's nothing for you here. You should turn around and go back. She's like, nope. And she's very, like, active at all the stages of the plot, which I really liked. I think Beverly Garland does a fantastic job playing her as yeah. well. I can totally see why she remembered Joyce as one of her, like, favorite roles. Because she gets a lot to play and to do here. Like, she gets, you know, newlywed wife. And she gets, like, frustrated sort of like sleuthing and she gets like horror and she gets like despair. Um, and she really throws herself into it. I think Richard Crane also does a fairly good job. I appreciated the way he was trying to do some physical acting in the makeup and especially the voice. And even though you could interpret this cast as kind of being made up of like Hollywood has been's in the supporting roles. I actually think it really helps the picture. Um, Frida Innescourt and George McCready really sell their parts. Like, and I think part of that is just their experience mm-hmm. as actors. And despite how bad the hook hand looks, because it really looks like Lon Chaney's just sort of using one of those like Halloween store pirate hooks where you just kind of hold on to it from the inside. Yeah. It um, doesn't look very good. No, I actually think Cheney does well with his role. Um, he's exactly what he needs to be for this part. Yeah. I had a really hard time with it because in every character that Cheney plays, he manages to bring in some kind of likability. Like, that's why Larry really works, like Larry Talbot. It's why even when he's playing, like, that character from High Noon or the character that's in, um, it's like an ape movie and has um, Perry Mason as the Oh, ape. Bride of the Gorilla. Yeah, when, even when he's in Bride of the Gorilla, like, he manages to bring something to the role where there's some level of charm or charisma. Well, and, and like, even his uh, version of Dracula was kind of a sad sack who was getting manipulated. Yeah, but there's still something there that makes you like him. Yes. And that's completely gone here because Manon wouldn't work with that. But knowing where he is in his personal life and in his career, I I think he's playing the role this way on purpose. But it also is feeling a little bit too close to home for me. And so it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch when he's like being so rough with Joyce and like that was upsetting honestly mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be it's a absolutely. horror movie but um I guess what I'm struggling he- with here is that like I just want 
good things for him. Right. And I know that that's not going to happen. No. But yeah, that's where I'm like, I don't want to say struggling, but like, I think he does do a really good job. It's sort of like walking the line of being exploitative because it's like, yeah, you know, he's perfect for the part, but that's sad, sad. Yeah. But he like plays the part perfectly. Um, you know, he's not likable. He comes across totally believable as this like kind of dumb, you know, backwoods guy who really hates alligators and is a drunk and is not a good person. And Cheney plays that well. It just kind of sucks that there's so much overlap with kind of where Cheney's at in his real life. Um, although as, as far as I know, to the best of my knowledge, Cheney was never like violent towards women. Mm-hmm. Um, he was always described as being like really sweet. Yeah. Um, only violent towards gators. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he does well with his role here. I think the music, I don't know if the music was like made for this movie or were library tracks, but I think if it was library music, they did a really good job of choosing which ones to use. And if it was original for the movie, I think it does a good job of trying to, I don't want to say it carries the film because it doesn't quite do a John Williams thing, right. but like it, it's holding its own. So I don't know what the mix is, but I do know like some of this is library stuff because um, the composer uh, is the same guy who did like the fly and kind of just like Fox's other sci-fi horror movies. So they have like a similar sound that enabled them to, you know, maybe have an original theme, but then throw in library tracks. That makes sense. There's like some ridiculous stuff in this movie. Like the fact that they have a laser prop. So they have like a big James Bond style laser prop, which is how they're exposing the test subjects to the gamma rays from the cobalt. And they clearly spent a lot of money on that prop. But also Dr. Sinclair's like laboratory is kind of a like, I took a house that was here and like turned it into my lab kind of thing. And so what this means is that the room where the radiation is being shot at people, the thing separating like, the people conducting the experiment from the interior of that room is like glass and wood walls. Like there's no lead paneling here. No, um, uh, It looks like it's done in, um, you know, those like old observatory yeah. kind of rooms and like old a conservatory. Fancy. Oh, did I say, what did I say? You said observatory. I mean, you use it to observe the outside world. <laughs> yeah. But conservatory <laughs> is what you're thinking of. Yeah. That's what he's set up in. Yeah. So stained glass. Yeah. Unless it's stained with lead, y'all are going to die. But what I did appreciate is that Dr. Sinclair isn't a mad scientist. Yeah. Like he's like, hey, I'm going to inject reptile hormones into people to try and give them regenerative healing powers. Oh, hey, it totally worked. This is great. Oh, a year later, they've developed the, you know hard to foresee side effect of turning into alligators because like, listen, man, I wouldn't foresee that if I, especially a year later. Yeah. Well, and like, to be honest, although this kind of thing happens very commonly in movies, IRL, if I like inject you with like rat hormone or something, the worst that's going to happen is like your body's going to reject it and you'll have like a violent reaction or something. Yeah. It's like, it's typically an immediate reaction. And no matter what that reaction is, it's not going to be overwriting your DNA to turn you into a rat, 
right? <laughs> so like, I think Dr. Sinclair is fine here. But yeah, and then once this happens, his whole goal is to like treat these people and like help them and get them back to normal. Like he's got, as you said, like a whole clinic with a bunch of these alligator people who he's treating, which by the way is why it's alligator people. Even though our focus is on the one alligator man, we do see there are a number of alligator people here at the clinic. So yeah, I just really appreciated that. And I also really appreciated how like Mrs. Hawthorne, who kind of has that like evil spinster thing at first, like once everyone's like explained what the deal with Paul is and, you know, Joyce understands what's going on. Everyone's like, you know what? We're really sorry that we kept everything from you. We just thought that like, it would honestly be better if this secret not get out. And we were kind of a little hard on you. And in retrospect, that was wrong of us. And I'm sorry. Like, I really enjoyed that these people were like reasonable human beings. Absolutely. Um, That was really cool. It actually (laughs) made me feel bad that they all fucking die at the end. But on the other hand, killing them all at the end, like works for the ending of the movie. Cause this movie is about someone who's been horrified to the extent of like traumatic memory repression. So they yes. need to like make it just like fucking terrible. I need to know where Dr. Mark Sinclair hires his orderlies from. Mm. Cause it's like hunk are us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. This is a guy who's like, listen to work with me. You need to have a degree in nursing and you need to bench like 250. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're lifting alligators. I guess that makes sense. For but sure. Like, yeah. It felt very, until it became clear, like, no, he's actually a good guy. It felt very like Batman 66 villain with his. Um, Themed minions. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was great. But yeah, I really liked in the script of this movie, the focus on the idea of like this horror being so much that it's like psychologically broken her. I really like that. This is a movie that's like, yeah, let's have awful things happen because it's a horror movie. Right. So we don't need to like pull punches on stuff like that. And they didn't fall into the trap of like, Oh, well let's put Joyce into danger. So people care because we know she survives. Right. Exactly. And so they do a lot of other stuff to really like, I don't know, make it, all really horrific and i think that leads the movie to this really interesting idea this kind of like lovecraftian idea of like is it better to know the truth Mm. which is so horrific that her mind blocked it out or should we just like let her kind of live in ignorance and i think the only thing that's bad about that is the execution because that idea is really only explored in like a short scene between two like very patriarchal doctors right at the end of the movie in that's like over and done with like they're sort of like should we tell her fuck no okay the end um (laughs) but like because it is an interesting idea and while normally and okay i will give the movie props for this they recognize that like normally a good psychologist's job should be to try to like bring out those repressed memories so that the person can deal with them in a more healthy way. But this was discovered accidentally with Joyce or Jane, I should say. Yeah. And they've agreed, you know, and they're like, normally when we try to help people through repressed memories, it's not, Hey, there were alligator people. And you were married to one. Yeah. So, it's it's kind of a little icky from an ethics standpoint if you try to like apply these principles to real world 
treatments of mental illness, but like in the context of this horror movie, they're going with like the Lovecraft idea of like, sometimes it's just better not to know. Yeah. Right. Would you want to know like if you were Jane? So I'm of two minds on the subject. On the one hand, my answer is like, no, because if it's so bad that like my brain felt the need to just like purge those memories, like who knows what damage that's going to do bringing that back up. On the other hand, those memories will probably surface in some way eventually, whether it's through like unexplained phobias or strange anxieties or bad traumas or like horrific dreams or just like a sudden rush of information suddenly one day. And I would rather have that information revealed to me like in a controlled environment with a doctor than just like I'm having unexplained nightmares about my non-existent alligator husband and I get really, really antsy around people with hook hands and I don't know why (laughs) kind of thing, right? Yeah, I think I would agree. I wouldn't want to know. And if someone knew, I would hope that they would explain it to me in as controlled and calm an environment as possible. Right. So I think, um, unfortunately, there are some things that let this movie down because we've mostly been talking it up and talking about what we like about it. Yeah, so I really did like the makeup on the humanoid alligator people where it's like alligator skin Mm -hmm. on them and a little bit of some prosthetics and stuff. But when we get the full alligator head version of Paul... Uh, it's, it's goofy. It's bad. Like it's so bad that it practically sinks the movie. Like it almost single-handedly undoes all of the good work the movie's done up to this point because it's so fucking terrible. Yeah. They went a super cheap route with like basically a t-shirt that's supposed to be his skin, but it looks like a t-shirt. Well, so he's got like, I, I don't know if it's like latex or vinyl, but yeah, he's wearing a shirt for his like chest and back. And the problem is he's also got like, you know, alligator hands and then he's got this big alligator head mask and you can just, you can see the seams, you can see the sleeves, you can see the collar. Also when he moves at all, there's like, you know, cloth folds in his chest. Um, The head is just like a big head. It's like, it doesn't really have like expressiveness or anything that makes it look alive. The mouth does open slightly but it's not super dynamic or mobile and dude clearly cannot see through it. No. And listen, I see people all the time on the internet being like, her, 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 the Gorn in original Star Trek sure is dumb and goofy and silly and fake. And I just want those people to watch this movie because like the Gorn blows this thing out of the water for one thing. And also was done on a weekly television budget versus like a theatrical motion picture. This alligator, yeah, is just so bad that I can see why this movie has kind of a bad reputation because I think if you're looking for something to like goof on and laugh at in this movie, like that's where it delivers. Um, The stills that I had seen were of the alligator head. Yeah, yeah. And I could see why you'd get the impression of like, this is is a lark, right? Exactly. Well, it's an alligator, not a lark, but uh, yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier really <laughs> liking Richard Crane um, in the role I liked of Paul. What, I liked what he was doing. I didn't like the voice he was using. Um, I thought it was too goofy. It was too put on, and it ultimately like distracted from 
the pathos of the character. Um, I think there's different voices you could have done to indicate the like alligatorness, and the one that he went with just didn't work for me, um, and and did make me kind of it did pull me out because it felt goofy to me. And then the last thing that I feel like brings this movie down is I think while he is undoubtedly a competent filmmaker, I don't think Roy Del Ruth can direct horror very well. Why do you say that? Because I, I see what you mean. To me, this film is competently made, but there wasn't anything that through the filmmaking made it feel like horror more than just the fact that there was like atmosphere and shadows. Yeah, it's the like script and story and actors who are making it horror yeah. in terms of the feel. So Del Ruth clearly knows how to direct a thriller or a mystery story. Mm -hmm. That part of the movie works really well. But the moment where I was like, oh, buddy, oh, oh, sweetie, is when he completely botches the reveal of Paul's face. Yes. So we, the audience, should get Paul's face revealed to us when it's revealed to Joyce. Joyce. And there's a moment where he's in the shadows playing the piano mysteriously for no reason. And Joyce comes downstairs and like opens the door and he turns and looks at her and she sees him and then he runs out. And yet the story kind of treats it like she has, like she didn't see his face in that moment, which is really weird because we clearly see that she did. And then our first real good look at Paul in the makeup comes from like the scene where he goes to Dr. Sinclair and he's like, you gotta do something doc. And then we get another scene after that. That's sort of meant to be the first time that Joyce really sees him up close. And then that's sort of treated like a reveal. Yeah. And that's totally botched. And the fact of the matter is that the, like the heroine finally seeing what the monster looks like moment has been like a key thing that horror movies have been doing since like 1925 with Phantom of the Opera. Absolutely. The moment when he turns to look at Joyce at the piano is a wide shot. So it's not a close up. He's way in the distance. So we don't really get a good look at him. And maybe they did that to try and like tell us that, hey, Joyce didn't get a good look at him either. But like that moment should have been the reveal. That should have been Christine pulling the mask off at the piano. And we should have gone in for a close up and had a big musical sting. And we don't. Even in the other scenes, like then when we see it, when he goes to the doctor, it's not treated like a reveal. He just walks into the scene. And when it is finally revealed to Joyce, it still isn't like shot or edited in a way to say like, bum, 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 audience, you should be scared now. It's just kind of hers. She's like, oh God. And he's just kind of there. So the fact of the matter is, is the movie isn't shot like horror other than having the shadows and things. But again, like Del Ruth knows how to do like noirs and mystery and thriller and stuff, but he's not, he doesn't have the cinematic language. It seems to know how to really do horror. Yeah. So I think that also brings the movie down. Yeah. I don't think it brings it down so far that it's not going to be considered horror, No, but I, I agree with what you're saying. As always, I think that intent is the most important thing with like, is this horror or not? And so someone intending to do horror who just doesn't have like the language to be able to do it, it's still horror. It's just not done well. Yeah. So where would you like to rank this? I have a spot. So I have a bit of a range. Okay. 
So let's see if your spot ends up inside my range, because that'll just make our lives so much easier. So I started out by looking for Return of the Fly, the yeah. movie that this was paired with. And I actually liked this better. Mm -hmm. I think both movies really biff it on their monster makeup. <laughs> but I think this movie has the advantage of like that alligator man only being in like the last little bit. And they otherwise have the more convincing makeup through the majority of the movie. I think also it, the alligator people is not beholden to what has already been set up in a previous movie, like yeah. what we saw with Return of the Fly and it struggling with that. And the other thing too is that it manages to hit the like emotional pathos that we felt was like the main thing missing from Return of the Fly, which otherwise was like clever and fun. So I thought this was better than Return of the Fly. So I made my floor uh, 142. You know, this could be just above Return of the Fly, below the Haunted Strangler. And then I looked up from there and what I was looking for was I was looking for the point on the list when I felt like the bad monster costume sinks the movie too much, where it's like, I can't go any higher than this with that bad monster costume. Um, and where I ended up was 105 above Attack of the Crab Monsters, because like Attack of the Crab Monsters, like we've got it at 105 and those crab monsters are terrible. They look awful i like them they're goofy and cute but yeah. they aren't like good horror monsters they've got like mm. big googly eyes and waggly eyebrows like they're groucho marks <laughs> um so i felt like this was the highest i could go it, more like crabby marks oh, oh, oh. so because <laughs> grouchy yeah so <laughs> you didn't laugh <laughs> how am i supposed to know if my joke lands if you don't laugh then <laughs> So that's my range, 105 to 142. Okay, so my spot, it fits within your, your range. Excellent. I'm surprised that you had such a large range. I also started at Return of the Fly, and for the same reasons, felt that the alligator people was better. Right above that is the Haunted Strangler, where it's also a guy who has repressed memories, mm. but he's the murderer. Right. And while... These movies handle the discussion of repression and uh, how those memories come out in very different ways. I think it's more horrifying for the repressed memories to be that you are a murderer rather than was married to an alligator monster. I will say that the highest I feel comfortable going is to 135, another Del Ruth movie, Phantom of the Rue Morgue. Okay. Because that movie's in color, it has blood, it has bodies falling out of chimneys. I, I don't feel comfortable going above that. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, I'm trying to, like, think about Haunted Strangler in my mind. There's a lot of Boris Karloff, turn of the century, is he a kindly old man or is he a psychopath movies. So I'm just trying to, like, sort them out in my brain uh, from each other. But I think ultimately you're right about the horror in The Haunted Strangler. I did really appreciate the way that this movie understood that it couldn't really just be Paul was an alligator man and died in quicksand. Like it had to be everyone dies and it's like really awful. Like they, they understood they needed to push it. But yeah, okay. So right above Return of the Fly? Yeah. Okay. So entering the list at the new number 142, it's the alligator people, 
from 1959, directed by Roy Delruth. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, ScreamScenePodcast.com. There you can find links to the many episodes that we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our Ask box on Tumblr, where everyone is returning. <laughs> you can also email us at ScreamScenePodcast at gmail.com or over Twitter for as long as you might be there at underscore ScreamScene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show using our RSS feed, and you can help the show out by leaving us a rating or a review, or just, like, recommend us to people. Um, we always love seeing those recommendations, and it's really the best way for us to grow our audience. If you're already part of that audience uh, on the regular, and you feel like, you know, financially supporting... Uh, this show that we do, you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash podcast. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month, but at five and $10 levels, you get access to regular bonus content, including a whole ton of bonus content we do in October. And if you sign up now, like that stuff's all still there. Uh, so you can get access to that whole archive. Your support on Patreon really means a lot to us um it's a lot to put on this show every week like we do a lot of work for the research and taking the time out to like do the show and it's really really nice to know that we're appreciated so if you would like to become one of the patrons of the night you can head over to patreon.com slash scream scene podcast so ben what are we watching next week so next week, Sarah, we're going back in time a little bit, oh. um, back to just like April of 1959, because I missed some movies. Oh, okay. Uh, accidentally looked over some films. Uh, so we are going to be watching a very indie horror movie made by a couple of the guys who helped make the Creature from the Black Lagoon suit. Oh. Deciding to just go off and make their own horror movie. It's the monster of Piedra Blancas. Okay. Yep. Well, if it's an indie movie, it kind of makes sense how it would slip through the cracks. Exactly. So, yeah, we'll see what that's like uh, next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye. Bye.